Let's start our news briefing. Uh, joining us here in the studio is Yu Sumin. Sumin, good morning to good you. Good morning, Henry. Let's start with this new announcement from the KDCA, and uh, it's kind of a scary announcement, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, health authorities are suggesting the possibility that uh, once you get COVID-19, you think, oh, I'm safe. I don't have to worry about it for a long, long time. That might not be the case. You could get reinfected with COVID-19 even after you make a full recovery, even after the antibodies are in your system. Mm -hmm. And that means that uh, what we could see here for the long-term future is that we could see a continuous recurrence of the novel coronavirus, maybe not at pandemic levels, but just like the flu season or the common cold. Yeah, right. So before we get to that, let me give you a brief update on yesterday's figure. Now, the daily new COVID-19 cases stayed below 100 for the second consecutive day because we added 17 more cases yesterday. And by 6 p.m. yesterday, the number was at 32. So it's going to fall much under 100 mark. But like you said, this suspected case of novel coronavirus reinfection was recently reported here in South Korea. Now, this could indicate that a person could contract the COVID-19 repeatedly, just like influenza. Mm. And we are also seeing some reports of similar reinfection cases coming from Hong Kong, Belgium, and even from the United States. And as for the suspected case of reinfection, particularly here in South Korea... A female, a sole resident in her 20s, had tested positive for the virus back in March, and she was later confirmed to be infected again in early April after making a full recovery. Now, presumably, this is Sakuria's first case of COVID-19 reinfection. Now, the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency said that it's still too early to tell that the case was indeed a coronavirus reinfection because the related studies are still underway. But health authorities said that if this case indeed confirmed as reinfection later on, not as a relapse case, it indicates the possibility of a person contracting the virus repeatedly. And also case DCA director Chong Eun-kyung also said that it also means that as immunity to the virus cannot last forever, COVID-19 may show some similar patterns of the cold or seasonal flu that can reinfect people. And if the case is confirmed to be a reinfection case, the result could affect our entire response to the virus, including the development of vaccine and treatments. Mm. Now, obviously, they are making some distinction between reinfection cases and relapse cases because this reinfection case occurs when a patient is infected with the virus after making a full recovery. Whereas a relapse case, this occurs when some traces of inactivated virus fragments are detected and then later show up in some test results. Now, Henry, one thing to know here is that Uh, This woman in the suspected reinfection case reportedly contracted the so-called V-strain, a genetic strain of the novel coronavirus first, and then she was later infected with the GH-clad later in a relatively short period of time. So, well, we could not say that this is a confirmed uh, reinfection case just yet, like Mm -hmm. I said, but studies that she has contracted different strains of virus, like uh, V-strain and GH-strain, this shows that the exposure to new types and new strains of virus could lead to infection. And also this could show that similar immunity patterns to common colds and seasonal influenza. And so this really show that we should follow the prevention guidelines at all times to prevent infection. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, the first reaction is this poor lady, because you can imagine how stressful, uh, not just physically, but mentally it was to be one of the first patients to have COVID-19 and mm-hmm. with 
everyone's so scared about the pandemic. You think you make the full recovery and then you get reinfected again. <laughs> right. Uh, as you say, none of this is uh, independently confirmed yet and there's no scientific consensus. But mm, not y e a h It does, as you say, kind of change the game uh, with vaccines. It's not going to be maybe a calculation of a one-time shot for everybody, uh, but uh, perhaps uh, seasonal shots like influenza, that's going to be what the development scheme is. Mm -hmm. And also with these countries that still think about herd immunity, right? Let's get 60% of the population infected. Uh, Maybe people die, but at least the entire population will be safe. that no longer holds sway Mm -hmm. because another strain comes in and then that entire population could get reinfected again. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly, we still have early days and lots to uh, discover yet, but uh, not promising uh, on that front. Let's move on to something else that's not very promising, and that's the political strife that Mm -hmm. is ongoing between the ruling party and the opposition lawmakers. So on the ruling party side, you have Kim Hong-gul and Lee Sang-jik. They have been accused of various levels of either uh, corruption or improprieties. Mm -hmm. And then on the um, opposition side, you have a bunch of figures like Cho Soo-jin, but particularly uh, this one figure with a mind-boggling kind of, uh, in terms of the amount of money of corruption that he's alleged to have been involved in, Pak Do-kum. And now, the ruling party seems to have turned the tables against the uh, opposition, demanding that uh, Park perhaps has to take some pretty severe responsibility. Yeah, right. So this ruling party had been on the defensive because of this recent controversy over Kim Hong-gar. And then they seem to be launching a full-fledged counterattack against People's Power lawmaker Park Do-kum now. And they decided to quickly settle the issue with the party's two contentious figures, that is Kim Hong-gar and Lee Sang-jik. Now, just to give you a brief rundown of the recent events involving these two figures, just last Friday, the ruling Democratic Party expelled Kim Hong-gar over some allegations that he had falsely reported the amount of property he owns in violation of the election law. Now, the ruling party's uh, ethics inspection body, uh, which was launched past Wednesday, looked into the allegations surrounding Kim Hong-gar in his first case and reached the decision to expel Kim Hong-gar two days later. That this was uh, approved by the party Supreme Council later in the day, so obviously this was a pretty strong and stringent measure against Kim Hong-gar. Mm-hmm. Now, this ethics inspection body is reviewing another lawmaker, Lee Sang-jik, a two-term lawmaker and also the founder of this cash-strapped budget carrier, uh, budget carrier Eastar Jet. Mm-hmm. And he has long been criticized for evading responsibility for the massive layoffs and failure of its aircraft business. And it's expected that Lee Sang-jik will face some severe disciplinary measures if he is not expelled from the party. Now, the party's Supreme Council member Shin Dong-gin said in an interview with NBC Radio, he basically shook off the controversy by saying that the issue with Lee Sang-jik will be settled before the Chuseok holiday, so they, will, they are going to speed up the handling of this issue, and instead, they are launching a counterattack against the opposition lawmaker. Like you said, Henry, uh, they are demanding Park Do-kum, Yoon Chang-hyun, and Cho Soo-jin of the People's Power to be expelled, who are all facing different allegations now. Now, with regards to this, let's take a listen to what Park Do-kum, the People's Party lawmaker, and the ruling party, uh, ruling DP's council member, Rung Ne, had said with regards to these allegations. Now, 
Well, obviously, we could see that the arguments remain quite wide apart mm-hmm. because Park Dae-kum faces this allegation that he illegally clinched construction orders from government agencies, and he showed data that the company's revenue, sales revenue, went down after he became a lawmaker, especially citing the figure that the number of construction projects went down while he was serving as the parliamentary committee ne- member on land infrastructure and transport. And l u n g n e the Supreme Council member of the ruling DP party, uh, despite this worst conflict of interest case, People's Power only made Park change his parliamentary committee position to another one, and he harshly blasted such decision. Well, Chain Ho, uh, also the senior spokesperson for the ruling DP, uh, said that Park must give up his seat as a lawmaker, and other ruling party lawmakers are also joining this all-out counterattack lashing out at him. Lashing out at Park Do Kim. Yeah, so that boomerang effect against the opposition for uh, throwing all that mud against uh, mm-hmm. ruling party figures and uh, Justice Minister Chumye seems to have uh, come back to bite them uh, here. So uh, let's take a look into the allegations surrounding Park Do Kim in more detail. Now he's the the guy at the center of the controversy. He did hold a press conference yesterday. We played a short clip about that mm-hmm. in regards to him refuting. These allegations, however, these are bad enough now that the uh, opposition party in a bit of a dilemma. There's a bit of a debate on what Mm -hmm. exactly to do with him, right? Yeah, right. So regarding the allegation, uh, Jin Sung-jun of the ruling DP revealed last Wednesday that Park Do-kum's family business scored over 100 billion won in revenues by winning the construction and technology contracts from the land ministry and public institutions that supervised by the ministry over the last five years. Now, he was a member of the Parliamentary Committee on the Land, Infrastructure, and Transport that conducts some regular audits into the agencies at that time. And after some suspicions arose about the possible conflicts of interest with his family business, he stepped down from the committee and started serving on the Environment and Labor Committee later on. Now, speaking at a press conference, Park Do-kum basically pleaded some innocence. He said that while serving as a lawmaker, he has never pressured or sought favors from the ministry or public institutions to win contracts and added that the ministry and the Seoul city government were longtime customers of their companies and the contracts were nothing new. Now, amidst this controversy, the main opposition parties, the People's Power Party, decided to launch an emergency fact-finding committee to look closely into these corruption allegations against Park Do-kum. Now, like you said, Henry, within the party, the opinions are quite divided between the middle-level groups that support Park Do-kum and the first-term lawmakers. Uh, because these first-term lawmakers, they are more geared towards like, putting forth more stringent measures. They are calling on the need for disciplinary action. Well, namely, uh, Kim Gi-hyun, a four-term lawmaker, he said, according to what Park Do-kum had said, all the orders were won through competitive open bids, and if that is true, there should not be an external pressure. And he also pointed out that it's still unclear as to what is true or not. Well, on the other hand, the first-term lawmaker Park Su-young, also, Park Su-young said that we need to deal with it in the same way as the ruling DP had uh Uh, had dealt with Kim Hong-gar. Well, he was obviously expelled from the ruling DP. And she said, if we don't uh, don't have enough valid explanation from Park Do-kum, the party's ethics committee should investigate further into this. So we, for now, we have to wait and see how the party's ethics and fact-finding committee come to a decision regarding his allegations. Yeah, and so just like what the uh, first-term lawmaker Park Su-young is worried about is that 
the public is not dumb. So mm-hmm. they're seeing how this is playing out, and they're seeing that uh, one side has been accusing the other side of corruption and all these bad things. Uh, but uh, their hands were not clean as well. And if anything, Park Tokum's uh, corruption is dwarfing anything else in terms of just the size and the amount of money. And then on top of that, you have other lawmakers like uh, Cho Soo-jin also accused of malfeasance. As well, mm. and so uh, that then, unless you deal with your own problems and allegations and corruption, well, you really don't have any kind of momentum or legs to stand on to try to accuse the mm-hmm. other side, which they had been doing right now, and then trying to make such a big deal about it. On top of that, we have this ongoing court case now going on with the uh, fast track legislation and the opposition party uh, and their bullying and violent tactics that they use trying to stop the passage of the bill. So it's really all coming to a head now for the opposition to to kind of sort itself out uh, in the midst of what they started as these attacks against the uh, ruling party side in this recent round of allegations. So we'll see how that all comes out. Now, I I mentioned the uh, fast track uh, court case where these lawmakers are now, uh, the opposition lawmakers Mm -hmm. are accused of of, uh, violent tactics and uh, violating National Assembly law. The reason why, uh, the big reason why was to reform the prosecution. And that's where we're turning to now. Uh, This is another thing that the ruling and opposition are in uh, disagreement with. The launch of the new investigative agency for high-ranking public officials. Uh, A revised bill over this uh, unit is now getting some debate within the National Assembly. Yeah, you're right. So the ruling party and the opposition party had a heated debate over this revised bill to the Senior Civil Servant Corruption Investigation Unit Act, and this revised bill is now brought to the National Assembly's Legislation and Judiciary Committee. Well, this revised bill includes changing the authority to recommend a nomination committee member for the head of its uh, investigation unit from the current four lawmakers, two from the ruling DP and two from the opposition party, to four members that are recommended by the National Assembly. Now, this revised bill is proposed by DP lawmaker Kim Yong-min, and if this bill is passed at the National Assembly, they can take steps to launch the new investigative unit just by the recommendation from the National Assembly, even if the main opposition, People's Party, uh, do not really form the nomination committee to recommend the head of this agency. Well, this investigative agency was supposed to be launched before July 15th, but the opening was delayed because the main opposition People's Power Party refused to form a nomination committee for its head. And the reason why Kim Yong-min suggested this uh, proposal is uh, he said that it's undemocratic to prioritize minorities' decision and exclude majorities' decision. Well, Justice Minister Chumia also supported the ruling party's decision by saying, that it goes against the principle of representative democracy to delay the launch of the unit by not submitting the nomination committee member. And then she stressed the swift launching of this agency is needed by saying that speed is more important than perfection when it comes to this particular agency. Well, meanwhile, the People's Party lawmakers called the proposal. It's the bill that excludes the opposition party. And they also suggested the possibility of this being a bill being found unconstitutional later on. Well, for example, Yun Han Hong cited that when the ruling DP expedited the passing of this uh, bill last year, it had actively promoted that it would not appoint the candidate of this agency's head if the opposition party do not agree. But this revision, revised bill, kind of breaks the logic made at that time. And Cho Su Jin also said, 
that it's unconstitutional to discuss the revised bill even before the launching of this agency. So we could obviously see that there is this wide discrepancy between the ruling party and the opposition yeah. party. It's it's funny because I think a lot of people also will feel the same. Whenever I hear Cho Soo-jin now attacking some of these things, I, all I think about are the hundreds of millions of won uh, that somehow slipped uh, through her mind uh, when uh, reporting her assets uh, before the election, which miraculously just appeared uh, through some uh, forgetfulness. And so uh, that investigative agency, uh, one of the people that could be investigated are high-ranking officials like Cho Soo-jin. And so mm-hmm. there is some kind of kind of wondering of how uh, and why Mm -hmm. people want to oppose reform. Now, the other aspect of the uh, fast-track legislation that I've been talking about is not just prosecutorial reform with this uh, or independent agency. It's also the uh, responsibilities of investigative rights uh, being split up now between police and prosecutors. Uh, Along those lines, the uh, president, Moon Jae-in, hosted a strategy session on the reform of the NIS prosecution and police at the Blue House yesterday, and the uh, interior minister laid out the overall plans uh, to form this uh, so-called national investigation headquarters that would indeed give more power to the police. Yeah, you're right. So President Moon Jae-in's key pledge was that he will decentralize powers of the prosecution and hand some of the investigative authorities to the police and end the National Intelligence Service's decades-long practice of intervening in domestic politics. Now, with regards to prosecution and police reforms, Interior Safety Minister Jin Young had announced that the police will establish a so-called National Investigation Headquarters that's expected to become the so-called Korean version of the FBI. Well, the FBI is the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the United States. And this particular uh, headquarters will have inherited the right to launch and end the primary investigation, as well as uh, the right to investigate some anti-communist activities from the National Intelligence Service. Now, just to give you some more detailed information of this uh, National Investigation Headquarters, it directs and supervises the police investigation department, and it also integrates the investigative functions that were basically scattered to various departments within the police. Now, the roles that were previously divided across the investigation unit, the life safety department, transportation and security departments. And also the head of this National Investigation Headquarters will be open to outside experts and the head of this uh, headquarters will command and direct the head of the Metropolitan and Provincial Police Agency and also the chief of the local police station. And the National Police Agency's chief's uh, specific investigator command in individual cases that will be abolished to secure neutrality and independence of the National Police. And they will also separately introduce a qualification management system to improve the overall quality of the investigators. And lastly, uh, they will prepare for, uh, to prepare for the transfer of the NIS's investigation rights to anti-communist issues the government is planning to push for the establishment of a new security investigative bureau within this national investigation headquarters. Yeah, so some major reforms in store there. Uh, final story, uh, we are pushing to try to get some uh, dis- disaster relief funds, the second round, uh, to people before Chuseok. But there is this warning now of these uh, smishing or text message hacking scams that have been issued. What's this about? 
Well, the users are basically encouraged to install some malicious apps or make some phone calls, and that's to lure people to disclose some important financial information and personal information. Well, for instance, uh, fake text with some unclear, unidentifiable internet address are sent with phrases like COVID-19 disaster relief fund or your emergency disaster relief fund has arrived. So timing-wise, people are more likely to click on the link. And also, it make users to click on some suspicious internet addresses that come with holiday greetings or mobile gift certificates. And actually, according to the National Police Agency, the number of smishing attempts in the first eight months of this year increased by 378% year-on-year. And there also have been more than uh, 10,000 cases of smishing attempts impersonating this COVID-19 emergency aid funds. Yeah, well, uh, beware and uh, certainly don't click on anything from an individual that is not part of your contact list and uh, somebody that you know. Uh, Just stay safe and uh, use common sense. Sumin, as always, thank you very much for the reporting. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.